So as a reminder, we are covering the chronological life of Jesus, and so we're looking through all the different Gospels, and we're now in, in the Gospel according to John, and we'll just move back and forth trying to follow his life, looking at the pattern as it was laid out in Luke, but now these are, this is where we get a lot more context than some of the other Gospels for certain things. So we are in John chapter 4, reading from verse 1. John 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went again into Galilee. All right, so what happened was the the scriptures actually give three reasons for Jesus leaving Judea and moving into Galilee. One of the reasons is outlined here, and it says because the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So remember, John's work was essentially done to prepare the way for the Lord. And now, uh, uh, Jesus was making and, and, and baptizing more disciples than John at this point. And it gives us a parenthetical expression in verse 2 that Jesus himself wasn't doing the baptizing, but his disciples were, but he was there officiating. And when the Pharisees heard it, Jesus knew it was time to go. Because the Pharisees, although, although they hadn't come very strong on him, they were, certain, they were about to, much as they had done with John. And it, it says that he moved on into Galilee. There's a couple other portions, and in fact, uh, it says in, in, uh, it says in, in Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 19 and 20, that Herod had now had John imprisoned. So, this is one of the reasons that, that uh, Jesus had moved up into Galilee, because he had heard that John had, w- was imprisoned. Uh, and that's in, spoken about in Matthew 4.12 as well. And, and Herod Antipas had put John in prison for a couple of reasons. One of them had been that, that uh, uh, it says that, he, that John had opposed Herod for his marriage. And, and in fact, I can read that from, from Luke chapter 3. It talks about that. Luke chapter 3, verse 19. Luke three nineteen. It says, but when Herod Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod had added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. So this is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had married Herodias, his brother, his brother Philip's wife. While Philip was still alive, he married Philip's wife, Herodias. So John the Baptist called him on this, John being a prophet, and, and uh, it wasn't just for that reason. It says, and because of many other things, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done. So in other words, John was calling uh, uh, Herod Antipas, Herod, this, this, this king over the Galilee area, had called him on this, and so he had John put into prison. And we're going to, later on, we'll read, we'll read the outcome of his going into prison. But you see what had happened was now when Jesus heard about this, he himself moved up into Galilee. And there's one other reason that Jesus moved into Galilee. It's, it talks about this in Luke 4.14, that he did this with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, this was a divine move up into Galilee. This was very much prescribed by God. So Jesus was called from the Judean area into Galilee. In order to do that, he has to go through the land of Samaria. 
So let me give you a little background on the Samaritans. The Samaritans were, were uh, uh, ethnically um, uh, half Jewish, e- ethnically part Jewish, and ethnically uh, uh, Gentile. So what had happened is when the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken into captivity. So this is not the southern kingdom where you had Judah and Benjamin taken over into Babylon, but the northern kingdom had been taken into captivity, the ten tribes of the north, by uh, the Assyrians. The Assyrians took many of the Jews out and brought many other peoples that they had conquered into the land. And so there was this, this intermarriage between the two. So racially they were mixed, and also they were mixed, the Samaritans mixed religion. So they took... Uh, 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 the, the religion of the Jews, they took that and they mixed that with their foreign gods. So they took on Judaism without uh, uh, getting rid of the foreign gods that had come in. So it was mixed also religiously. And they only, they only used the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. They didn't use the Psalms, they didn't use the prophets after that. They only believed in the first five books. And in those five books, what they did is any reference to Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is at the top of Mount Moriah. Any reference to Mount Moriah, they substituted it with Mount Gerizim. So they went into the scriptures and they scratched out the word Mount Moriah and they put in Mount Gerizim. And they did this because they wanted to move the center of attention not from Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem is, but to Mount Gerizim, which Mount Gerizim is, is the mountain, and, and Shechem, their main city, is right at the base of that mountain. And Sikhar is a, is a, uh, was and is a suburb of Shechem, which was the center of, of Samaritan uh, society. So that gives you a little picture. And so let's read about this now. Verse 4, John chapter 4, verse 4. When he had passed through Samaria, he came to a city of Samaria called Sikhar near the parcel of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus was wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay, so it says that he was going from Jerusalem through Samaria into the Galilee. And if you wanted to go from Jerusalem into the Galilee today, you would go through the land of Samaria. And the Samaritans still live there. And, and uh, um, so he was going through this land, and it says that he was wearied because of his journey. It was about the sixth hour. So in their saying it was the sixth hour, we don't know exactly what time it is because it could have been, there could have been uh, two reckonings. If it was uh, by Jewish reckoning, it would be noontime. If it were by Roman reckoning, it would be 6 p.m. And it could be by Roman reckoning because John wrote this gospel in around 100 A.D. And so much was revolved around uh, uh, the the Roman reckoning at that time. So it might have been 6 6 p.m. or it may have been noon. We're not sure. But Jesus was weary. So Jesus physically became weary, just like we physically become weary. Uh, And he was sitting thus by the well. It says that his disciples had gone into the town, so they had gone into Shechem. This is in Sychar, Sychar being a suburb of Shechem. They had gone into the city, into Shechem, to buy food. So Jesus wasn't doing miracles all the time and and turning turning, a few fish into multiple loaves. Most of the time, they would just buy food. 
And there are verses like in Luke chapter 8 that it says wealthy women supported his ministry. And so you see that, that sort of thing, that, that Jesus' ministry was supported. There was a money box. It says the money box was kept by, in fact, Judas Iscariot used to keep the money box. And there's verses that say that he used to pilfer the money box. And so anyway, they went in to buy food, and Jesus is there speaking now with a Samaritan woman. So let me pick it up again at verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria... To draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So you see that little parenthetical there. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I was in, the, uh, I was in Israel this past summer, and my son-in-law said to me that he was going to visit his Samaritan friend. And I said, oh, I thought Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. <laughs> and he said, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so anyway, they have dealings with them today. But Jews were, were, so what this means, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. A Jew could cross through, could go from, from Jerusalem, down Jerusalem mountain, up north through Samaria into the Galilee. That was allowed. And, and the Samaritans were, were glad to see Jews leaving, leaving Jerusalem and passing through Samaria. That was just fine for them. But Samaritans did not let Jews go from the Galilee through Samaria into Jerusalem. They didn't like to see Jews going to Jerusalem because Mount Gerizim was the mountain that they said all the action was at. And they would often rob them, abuse them, and sometimes kill them. And we're going to see later on in Jesus' life when he's passing through Samaria from Galilee toward Jerusalem, they didn't even let him go through. And his disciples wanted to call, fi- call down fire and brimstone upon them as a result. And, and, and uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, wouldn't let them do that. Uh, and and this, they don't have dealings with Samaritans, was that they could never, by Jewish law, be indebted to the Samaritans. In other words, you could buy food from them, but you were never to take a gift from them. You were never to be indebted to a Samaritan. And this is part of the, the bewilderment of this woman. Why is this man asking her for a drink? He doesn't offer to pay her for a drink. He's just asking her for a drink. And Jews would never become in any way indebted to a Samaritan for any good deed. Secondly, he's speaking to a woman. So there's, there's a, a couple of things going on here. The dynamic is he's, he's Asked for a drink, so you would have to be indebted to a Samaritan. You could buy from them. His disciples had gone into Shechem to buy food. But you couldn't become indebted. So here he's asking for a drink. And secondly, he's speaking to a woman, which in that generation was odd as well, which we're going to see, see that underscored. So let's read this passage, and then I'll, I'll reflect, we'll reflect upon it. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself, his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. 
And he said to her, Go call your husband here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is the Spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see he who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Okay, so remember we said that there were two reasons why this was odd to the Samaritan woman. One, that he was asking her for a drink, so in some way he would be indebted to her. That was odd. Secondly, she said, because I'm a Samaritan woman. When the disciples came, they didn't know that Jesus had asked her for a drink, so that didn't bother them at all. They didn't know it. But what they saw was him speaking with a woman. And it says that at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. So in other words, Jesus went beyond the mold. Jesus wasn't restricted, one, by these little Samaritan rules that they couldn't become indebted to a Samaritan. This was, this was just Jewish rules. This had nothing to do with commandment from God. So if society tells us, or, or, or our social culture tells, uh, uh, tells us in our society that we should not relate to a certain group of people, as believers, we can go well beyond that. Our Bible never restricts us from relating to certain people, relating to other people groups, talking with people of other religions. Doesn't doesn't restrict us from this. So you see that Jesus continually broke the mold. The other thing it says that society told him he shouldn't be speaking with a woman. A man shouldn't be speaking with a strange woman like this. But again, Jesus breaks through that mold and he reaches out to women. In fact, so much of his... Ministry was reaching out to women. When people say that, oh, oh, Christianity is so oppressive to women. No, Christianity is actually a great liberator to women. Jesus, so much of his ministry was to women. He, the first person that he appeared to after his resurrection was Mary, to a woman. So much so that he, he appeared first only to the women. And the women came back and brought the testimony. And it says that even the apostles didn't believe it because, you know, surely he wouldn't appear just to women. But Jesus reached out first to women. Paul spoke of of liberation to the woman, saying that we are all one in Christ, giving them this seat, giving them this place. So much of Jesus' ministry was funded by women. Jesus, again, was reaching out and going beyond the culture. He wasn't restricted by what culture told him to do. Culturally, you may be in a culture where people don't speak with certain people, other people groups. But we are, as believers fine in breaking through that because the scriptures do it. Jesus did that. He wasn't restricted. Even though society, his Jewish society said don't don't do this, he still did it because there was no restriction in God's commandments. And so Jesus did this thing. And so in verse 10, 
So, so, so in, I'm sorry, in verse 8, Jesus says four words, give me a drink. That's it. Give me a drink. Four words, he opened up the Christian conversation. How do you open up a conversation? How do you start to share the gospel with somebody? Jesus says, give me a drink. That's it. Give me a drink. That opened up the dialogue. And then she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, that is not just a matter of fact. That, that actually, uh, that's not a compliment coming from her. That you, being a Jew, this is the way it's, it's spoken. So that's not a compliment coming from her when she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, uh, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? So you see that now in this first verse, the first time she refers to him, she refers to him as a Jew. Later on, she's going to refer to him only as sir. So she starts changing her attitude. Then she refers to him as a prophet and finally as the Messiah. Now in, in Samaritan reckoning, the next prophet to come, remember they acknowledge no prophets after Moses. The next prophet to come is going to be the Messiah. So to say that somebody is a prophet is underscoring that they are the Messiah in, in Samaritan reckoning. But you see immediately this woman's attitude is going to start to change. He opens up the conversation by saying, give me a drink. She says, how can you be asking me this? And Jesus replies in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is to say, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's a very interesting response. She asked him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? She asked him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. Jesus did not answer her question. She asked a very specific question. And Jesus' reply is, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. That's his reply. has nothing to do with a direct reply to her answer, to her question. He gives her a totally separate line. has nothing to do, doesn't even answer her question. Remember, he opens up the conversation, give me a drink. She asks a question and he responds and starts speaking life to her. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why should he, if he asked of her, give me a drink, if she, if she asked of him, give me a drink, why would he give her living water? He asked of her, give me a drink, and she didn't do it. In fact, through this whole passage, she never gave him the drink of water that he asked for. <laughs> why should he give back to her? And that's exactly what God does. We are selfish with God and He is gracious with us. In fact, this is so much of the way God is. This is, in fact, what parents ought to be with their own children. So often children may be selfish and parents have to be generous back. You know, so many times, I, you know, I just, just my own nasty self, my kids will say something or do something and I'll come home grunting. Well, that's the last time I do something for them. And Shireen will calm me down and just say, look, they're your children. They're your children. They can say things like that. You still have to be good to them because they're your children. That's the way God is. She never gave him a drink. And Jesus said, you know, if you just asked of me for a drink, I would have given you living water. And so, what is this living water? This living water is actually the Holy Spirit. She took living water to mean 
that there was this, so, so living water to them was something as opposed to a cistern, something that just stored water. Living water was a place where you would dip in and you would get running water. Jesus was speaking as living water as being something much different because he talks about that actually in John chapter 7. It says in John chapter 7, verse 37, Now on the last, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus spoke of living water, he said, He who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scriptures said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, the Scriptures say. When Jesus is speaking of living water, he is speaking of the Spirit. Jesus said, if you ask of me, you will get the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes young believers come to me and they say, you know, I'm not sure if I receive the Holy Spirit. I said, well, then ask them. Then ask God. Because the Scriptures say, will he, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your tr- children, will not he... Uh, will not the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You ask God for the Holy Spirit, He will give it to you. This is what He says to the woman. Even though the woman wouldn't give Him a drink, He said, you know, if you had asked of Me for water, I would have given you living water. In verse 11, she said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So you, you see what I mean? She is thinking that he, can, he would have gotten her water from the well. That well was part of a, a running water down in that well. The wells aren't stagnant. They're hooked onto some stream of water underground. And so she said, you know, you have nothing to draw with. How would you get that living water? So Jesus starts the conversation with four words. Then he goes into talking about God, talking about the Spirit. And then she has no idea what he's talking about. She thinks he's talking about things of life. This happens very often when you're trying to share Christ with people. You, you start talking about something. You open up the conversation in, in, in some, some way. Nice weather, isn't it? Or something. Give me a drink. And then you start talking about God and they start it's just, just totally unclear that you're referring to something much grander. And so she says, where are you going to get this living water? But you see in verse 11, she refers to him as sir, no longer Jew. She refers to him as sir. So just the way he said these words, something happened. Just the way she said these words, he's different. He's responding to her. She's responding to him differently. She sees that there's some elegance, some eloquence in his words, that there's something different here. She refers to him as sir. And then she says in verse 12, You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? So she says, you know, you don't understand my background. You know, my father is Jacob. He gave us this well. And sometimes you will see this. You start going to try to share the Lord with people. You will see something happen. That they will start referring to something. They'll say, you know, um, uh, I've gone to church all my life. For example, I was once sharing with a young lady. She says, look, I'm Greek Orthodox. Do you know how old that religion is? That is the first church, she said. Well, Catholics say their church is the first church. So everybody's got something that they hold on to, something in pride. I don't need what you're telling me. 
Don't you know that what I was born into, what you were born into means absolutely nothing. It's the conversion of the heart. But you see, this lady is exactly the same way. And Jesus doesn't just toss up his hands and just walk away. But that's what she's doing. She's calling upon herself, somehow justifying herself because of what she's been born into. And this is often what we will do, what people will do. Because of what I've been born into, you know, I'm born a Jew, or I'm born a Catholic, or I'm born, born a Greek Orthodox, or a Coptic Christian. You know, and how all those religions are, means nothing. And so, so, here she's talking with the Lord, but Jesus doesn't get frustrated and walk away. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So you see, he is again, brings her back to the things of the Spirit. He said, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. But it's going to become in you a well of water springing up to eternal life. You will never, ever be satisfied with the things of this world. Young people, it's a common characteristic that when I get done with school, I'm going to get a job working for Intel or IBM or ExxonMobil or something, and then I will be all set. You will not be set at all. There are many people that do that, and there are many people that are miserable. You will never, as a believer, be satisfied. You will never be satisfied without having the Holy Spirit come come into your heart and without having the Holy Spirit come out of you. A well of water springing up to eternal life. If you get saved, but you don't have that expression of faith where it's coming out of you, touching other people's lives, that even as a believer, you will never be satisfied. Because it's just like water coming in and there's no water going out. And you will never be clear. Be like the Dead Sea. Water comes in, nothing goes out, and it's just just deadness in there. There's no fish that live in the Dead Sea because there is no exit to the Dead Sea. You have water coming in, the Holy Spirit coming in. You will never be satisfied until there's so much coming in and that you let that expression out and it touches other people. You will never be satisfied. You will never be satisfied. You think, well, when I get this woman from my wife, then I'll be satisfied. Satisfied, you won't. When I get this great guy, this great guy from my husband, then I'll be satisfied. Guess what? You won't, because you'll see that he has feet of clay and he does many things that hurt you. Because people can never fulfill you. They can never fulfill you. Your fulfillment comes because of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as you have that expression coming out, this is why we have to be active in the body of Christ. Because if that expression is not coming out, you will never be satisfied. So again, she doesn't understand this. In verse 15, the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way to draw. So remember, it is the woman's job, just as it is in many Arab cultures today, it was always the woman's job to go in to draw water. She again is not connecting. You know, Jesus could throw up his hand and say, Wow, you know, I've tried with this woman, but she just doesn't understand. Just doesn't understand. It's not connecting. Again, there's no connection here that Jesus is speaking things of life. She thinks he's speaking of the physical again. He's not speaking of the physical. She thinks he's speaking of the physical. Give me this water. So then Jesus comes back to a question, uh, uh, to, to a comment in verse 16. He says, go call your husband and come here. Jesus knows something about her. 
And he's going to expose something because you have no need of a Savior until you recognize that you're a sinner. Before you recognize you're a sinner, you think that you're a descendant of Jacob. You think that, that you're part of this church or that church or this background or that background. And you don't realize your need for a Savior. Until you realize that you're a sinner, you have no need of a Savior. And Jesus is about to open up something and to show her that she is a sinner. So that she's going to recognize that she needs a Savior. He says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Whoa. So she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, oh, you know, you're, you're right that you have no husband. Because the guy that you're shacking up with now is not your husband. But you have had five husbands before him. And she says, uh-oh. This guy pointed out something. I'm a sinner. This same thing happened to me when I got saved. That, that this young man came and he started sharing Christ with me. And coming from a Jewish background, I had no idea of my sin. And he said to me, you know, I had me read this verse that I'm a sinner. And I said to him, I'm not a sinner. And he had me read the verse where Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And being a, a, an 18-year-old kid addicted to pornography, when I read that verse, it was as if my sins were all of a sudden exposed. Just something hit me. And that event, that event, when I read that verse, began the process of my heart changing so that a month and a half later, I gave my heart to the Lord. This event starts changing her heart. Here Jesus was speaking all these spiritual things, hoping that she'd connect, and there was no connection. But then he showed her her sin so that she recognized she needed a Savior. But look at how merciful Jesus is in exposing to her her sin. She says, I have no husband. He didn't say, oh, well, you stinking prostitute tramp. You've had five husbands, and you're lying to me right now. He could well have said that. But he said, you have said correctly, I have no husband. Because you've had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. So you're, that's correct. You see what I mean? He takes her lie and he paints it in a very nice light. Do you see what he's done? you see how merciful he is? He says, you've said that correctly. Because the guy that you're with right now is not your husband. So you're speaking the truth. You have had five husbands, so that's in the past. Okay. You, you see how merciful Jesus is? Jesus is so merciful. Anybody else would have just called her on it. But Jesus just pours forth mercy. Jesus was merciful to sinners. But he was particularly merciful with the sexual sinner. You see this with Mary. You see this with, with not his mother Mary. You see this with, with uh, uh, Mary Magdalene. These were prostitutes that he would relate to them. He would go and to speak with them. You see this, the woman who is, who is caught in the act of adultery. And he says to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see that within the descendancy, of, 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 uh, um, in the line of Jesus, if we, we've read this before, there are all these women that had undergone, uh, that, that had terrible sexual problems. 
And, and Jesus just names them. And we've gone through before. The scriptures just named them. And how God had reached down right on through this. Jesus is particularly merciful with the sexual sinner. The world, the church, is particularly merciless with the sexual sinner. Jesus is particularly merciful. And how he takes this woman who's telling a lie, and he lets her stand. He says, hey, you're speaking the truth. Let me just clarify it, how you're speaking the truth. Because the guy you're with is not your husband. You've had five husbands before him, so what you've said is right. You see how merciful Jesus is? You think he's going to just condemn us and squash us because of our sins? No, we do this to ourselves. Or the world may do this, or others might do this to us, the church might do this to us. But not God, not Jesus. He reaches out. And as soon as she hears this, something changes. She, she says to him, in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So remember, she goes from saying, Jew, to sir, to now prophet. And in her reckoning, prophet, the only prophet that was to come after Moses, was going to be the Messiah. I perceive that you are a prophet. Once her sins were exposed, until a person understands that they are sinners, they have no understanding of their need for a Savior. And Jesus points that out in a very gentle way. And then all of a sudden, she gets theological. This often happens. You start to right get through to somebody about you know, talking about things of God, and all of a sudden they want to get theological. Uh, where did Cain get his wife? You know, some sort of thing like this. Get, get real theological. And so she says to him, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, what does that have to do with what they were talking about? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is the Spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, this is the first of several questions that she had. The first one that Jesus answers. This is the first one. Remember she had said, uh, uh, where are you going to get this water? How are you going to get into this? You're not better than our father Jacob, are you? Jesus didn't answer any of them. But this one he answers. And he says, you know, an hour is coming when you don't have to worship in Jerusalem, nor in this mount, Mount Gerizim, not here either. You're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that's where we are. Uh, there was a, a tour guide was taking my son Ben and I around and, and he brought us to the, to the uh, Wailing Wall in Israel. And, and uh, he, he said, do you want some time just to pray? I said, no, I don't need to pray here. And pray in my room just as well. Let's move on. I mean, I don't, I don't have to stand by that wall and pray as if God were there more than he is any other place. There's nothing to do with that. And, and, and some people just, just get a real rush of the Spirit when they're there. That's fine. I never did. I've been to the, that wall before. I went up to that wall. You know, what are these people talking? There was nothing there. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. An hour is coming and now is. He says, he says, now, technically, he says, you people are wrong. You worship that which you do not know. The Jews worship that which they know. And, and uh, salvation, he says, comes from the Jew. 
The Jew is right in this. He says, but an hour is coming where you don't have to worship here. Now, that is an hour. So from the, from the time of Jesus to the establishment, the reestablishment of the kingdom, we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. You never have to go to Jerusalem. There's no pilgrimage or anything that you have to make. If you want to go to Jerusalem just to see it, that's fine, but you don't have to go there to worship. However, there is going to come a time after the reestablishment of the kingdom that clearly says in scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that Jerusalem will again be the center of worship, where the throne will be established there. And so there will come a time where that will again shift. But the time that we are living in now, the place that we are living, Jesus said, this is irrelevant. Those who worship God have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. There is a time of worship and there is a time that we have with God. It's not based on location. And then the woman in verse 25 said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is so clear. Jesus said, she said, when Messiah comes, he's going to reveal all things to us. He said, I who speak to you am he. And then she goes running back into the town to tell people about Jesus. That woman had been converted. That woman had changed. But you see this dynamic, how merciful Jesus is, how he reaches out to sinners. The conversations that he had, look at how he drew people to himself. He started out with a simple little few words to start a conversation. He started bringing it around to God, and then he showed her her need of a Savior. This is the way Jesus reached out, and he is so merciful. Remember, particularly with the sexual sinner. So if they're struggling in your heart, whether it be in pornography or other things, remember, Jesus is reaching out to you. Jesus is particularly merciful with the sexual sinner. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the way Jesus reached out how he went beyond the norms of his society to reach out to another people group, to reach out to, to uh, another sex, that he did that. Father, I thank you that he was so merciful with this woman, patiently instructing her, patiently speaking about the things of God, how he reached out to her, how he, he then spoke to her of her need of a Savior. Father, thank you for this testimony. Lord, I pray for those here that might not know you, that have never had the Holy Spirit enter their hearts. Father, I pray that they would so ask of you and that they would be saved. And Lord, I pray for these young people that they would understand what it is to have the Holy Spirit enter them and then flow out of them like rivers of living water, that in that they would see fulfillment in life. Father, because I know they will never be fulfilled unless the Holy Spirit comes in and then flows out of them to touch others. Father, I pray that you would do that, that the Holy Spirit would be flowing out of these young people. Lord, I thank you, and I give their lives to you. Have mercy upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.